Good morning. Am I coming through okay? My microphone fell off when I sat down once, so I just want to make sure it's still in the right place. Yes, good morning. My name is Nathan Edwards, and uh, the first thing I guess we can say about me being here, uh, that you can uh, respond that, to that as the Lord provides. Now, uh, I mean that in the sense that this was the only um, Sunday morning in about the next three months where I haven't committed myself to somewhere else. So uh, at 6 p.m., uh, Tim, Tim found me available. So I'm here for you. The Lord has provided for you somebody to preach. Uh, you can decide whether he's given you a harsh lesson or a, or a mercy this morning, but uh, it, is, uh, it is the Lord that provides that you are receiving the word uh, this morning, so thanks be to God. Today's message is a very focused message. It is on the subject of fear. And the reason that we need to speak about fear uh, is two things. One, fear is everywhere. We live in a world where fear is almost the currency past most between us. Uh, anxiety, uh, uncertainty, scary things are happening all around us. Do you have fear in your life? Do you wake up or do you turn the TV off after a day and say, I'm afraid. Do you have uh, stress and anxiety about things that are just out of control and you don't know how they're going to work out and it's making you nervous? It's making you afraid. Everybody deals with fear Everybody feels afraid. And we're going to learn today that that is because God gave us the feeling of fear. The question is, what are we supposed to do with that feeling? And so that is the second thing that I want us to figure out today, and that is, what does the Bible tell us to do with fear? What do we do with it? The title of our sermon is The Potential of Fear. And I mean for that title to be a bit evocative, because the potential of fear, I believe, for most of us, is entirely negative. And it can be quite negative, as we will see. But I also believe, when we understand the Bible's teaching on fear, that there is a positive potential of fear. And it is that positive potential that I hope we are left with today. So I, I want this image of a path to be kind of in front of you, uh, which is, I think, in the slides. Right. So here's, here's what I want you to recognize. Fear has you right at the beginning of that path. And every time something that causes you fear or stress causes you to be uh, scared or afraid, you are put right there at a why. And it is the question of what the potential of fear is going to be in your life at that moment that is going to determine whether the potential of that fear is negative or whether the potential of that fear is positive. We're going to see how this all works out by looking at one proverb. 
So we'll be in the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 29. And we're going to look at verse 25, which says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's take a moment and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that this uh, teaching, which is your word, would be set deep in our hearts, that it would pull out the weeds of negative fear in our lives, that it would put in its place the potential of positive fear. Father, I pray that you would help me to preach this word clearly, to preach this word convincingly, and most of all, to preach this word by your spirit, that it would be your power that does the work, and that it would be your glory uh, that is received at the end. Help me stand out of the way and simply be a vessel for what you want done today. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's summarize our proverb. And one of the problems with summarizing a proverb is you can hardly make it shorter. Uh, But my summary, or restatement at least, of this proverb is this. The only remedy to a life of fear is trust in the Lord. And the proverb is going to give us three lessons that lets us understand that. So we're going to go through those lessons one by one. The The first lesson that we have is that fear is common. Fear is common. So the proverb starts with these words, the fear of man. Now, if you deal with the original language of the text, you have a translation choice in that phrase. Because you can translate that phrase as fearing man or as man's fear. And I believe as a proverb, the purpose of a proverb is to, in a condensed uh, use of words, create a bunch of thoughts that are resolved when you think about the proverb. So I, I think that the proverb actually intends that ambiguity because I think the proverb means for us to think about both of those kinds of fear when we think about uh, uh, this proverb. And so what is man's fear? What does that mean? Well, that, that's just the common experience of fear. And what's, what could some of those be? Well, that, that could be fear of the diagnosis. That could be fear of your job security. That could be fear uh, for your kids' safety or how they're going to turn out. That, that could be fear stimulated from world events. That could be fear generated from a general sense of unsafety. Any number of things can be that fear. Now, the other kind of fear, fearing man, that's the fear that we have that is generated by our need to be approved, our need to belong, our need to be on the inside and not on the outside. That's what we call man-fearing. That pressure that we have to conform or to line up with a certain uh, sense of the agenda in the room so that we can say we belong, so that we don't have to live on the outside. And, and, And this kind of fear is rampant 
today. Our Facebook communities are, on, are always trying to divide us into our camps. Our political parties are always trying to press the slogan, you're either 100% with me or you're not with me at all. And the, the pressure for us is to get in line. Even if getting in line means I have to sacrifice or silence some concerns or some objections or even some morals. Because I don't want to be on the outside. To be on the outside is to be out. I'm not at the table. I'm not in part of the decision. I'm at the whim of the world. And this has gone so rampant that, that we actually have a word for this kind of man-fearing. It's called tribalism. We are feeling more and more like you have to figure out who your tribe is. And once you figure out who your tribe is, you have to do whatever it takes to sign the dotted line. Whether that means you have to sand, sound, uh, 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 sand off a couple of rough edges or delete entire parts of your conscience. That's fearing man. Now, at this point, I think the proverb wants us to recognize in the phrase, the fear of man. It is a proverb that is written to people that is all people, and it is a proverb that is written to be relatable to all people. So when the proverb comes to us with this phrase, the fear of man, I believe that it is telling us this. It's okay to admit that you are afraid. It's okay to admit that you are afraid. Why? Because fear is universal. Fear is natural. And in fact, fear has been given to us because it's necessary. How, how do I know it's necessary? Well, about 14 years ago, when I had my first child, I came home from the hospital to discover afresh, never realized this before, that I was living in an absolute death trap. My home was a house of horrors with 10,000 ways to kill my child. No exaggeration. They were everywhere. There were chemicals that were low. There were sharp corners everywhere. There were doors that opened to stairwells that went down 10 feet. And I realized immediately, with this new sense of fatherly fear, my house is not safe. That fear was productive. Because what did I do? I child-proofed the house. And I can testify that that fear has given me three kids uh, with six eyes. The kids don't have six eyes, but they each have two eyes. So I've protected them by taking that fear and constructively working on childproofing. So, we need to be careful about falling into a lie that is very popular in certain Christian slash religious circles. It's one that I hear voiced a lot. And it's basically this, that a Christian can't admit they have fear because if they did, they're saying they don't have faith. Oh, you have fear. I have faith. Oh, you, you, you're afraid. Well, that's, that's not, it's not me. 
I have faith. We have begun to hear a mantra that you either have fear or that you have faith. And so we are telling a lot of people that are afraid, you're not part of the faith. This is a lie. And let me start by saying this. Faith, saying I have faith, if it is biblical, is never an excuse for acting stupidly, selfishly, or self-righteously. And I think if we look back on that phrase, oh, you have fear, I have faith, We are actually using faith to justify stupidity or selfishness or to say in a subtle way, a really religious, pious way, I'm a little better than you. And this is not evangelism. This is not what we are called to do. And in fact, I'm going to tell you something. You're outing yourself in that phrase because what you're actually doing is showing your fear of looking weak. You're afraid to admit that you're afraid because you live in a community that makes your admission of fear look like you're not a Christian. And so what is the phrase, you have fear, I have faith, actually revealing? It reveals that you are trapped and I am trapped in man fear. I am afraid, but I can't admit that to the people to the left and the right of me. When we do not admit what is true and instead say that our faith has fixed it, we are being pretenders. We are being hypocrites. We are being false witnesses. And I I, I bring that up and I make that quite pointed because when we think that we are promoting the faith by casting people in fear as being inferior, as, as, as not being truly religious enough or close enough to the Lord, we're giving the devil a day off. Because what does the devil have to do when we have made our faith so off-putting. Our faith so unrealistic. And, and if you perhaps think, Nathan, I, I've grown up in the church, and I, I think that, that that's probably still, I'm not convinced that that, that is not the right thing to say. I, I want to direct you to a, a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, where we read the Apostle Paul say these words. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Stop it, Paul. Stop saying that you have fear within. You need faith. The answer is not fear within, but faith within. Stop saying that false story. No, I don't think that's going to work. I want the Apostle Paul's admission that even as a man who walked with God, who was fearless in the gospel, who had courage and bravery in the faith, 
and knew the Lord Jesus Christ intimately enough to speak with him night and day, that he is able to say, I have fear within, to give you the freedom to jettison that lie and say, I also have fear within. So what? What are we supposed to do with our fear if we're not just supposed to deny it? Well, the proverb is here to make us mindful of our fear. The, the proverb wants us to be uh, practicing what we call in the modern world mindfulness. And that means that the proverb wants us to recognize fear in ourselves. It wants us to identify the fear in ourselves. And it wants us to question that fear. Uh, a Christian counselor named Dan Allender spoke about the purpose of fear, and he, he said this, If you avoid your fear, it will turn dark and destructive. Instead, allow it to stalk you without trying to wave it away with pious platitudes or distracting yourself in busyness. Fear-faced is a heart exposed. The stronger the fear, the greater the clarity regarding the object of our fear. You see, what, what Allender wants us to do, and what this proverb wants us to do, is to recognize that you can acknowledge that you are afraid without submitting to it. Acknowledgement of fear is not the same thing as submitting to it. And if we allow that space, we are allowing the constructive opportunity for that fear to reveal our hearts. You see, when we are afraid, it is something in our heart that is scared. And that is, an, is a window to start asking some probing questions about your faith. Some probing questions about your beliefs. And only when those questions are asked can you do anything healthy with your fear. And so ironically, until you feel the fear... You don't see those questions. Fear reveals our heart. Now there's actually a whole other reason why I'm available to preach this Sunday. And that's this. I'm a fired pastor. Uh, two years ago, I was pastoring a church in Baton Rouge. And it was in the middle of 2020. And uh, the, the leadership and myself just continued to butt heads about what we thought was the right thing for the church to be doing in that very controversial and contentious time. And it became so fragile and so irreconcilable that it became clear that I had to leave that pastorate. I had to relinquish it. And so I went into the middle of 2020 suddenly with no job, three kids, imminent homelessness, I was afraid. I was terrified. And in all of that terror, some really disturbing questions came out. Questions that I thought as a, as a pastor and as a Christian for several decades weren't true of me. But the fear put before me questions that I was in denial of. I asked the question, who am I? I asked the question, am I a failure? 
I ask the question, am I finished? And I even ask the question, have I been abandoned? You don't face those questions when you don't admit, I'm afraid. But if I don't deal with those questions, my faith is really underbaked, isn't it? It's really not what it should be, is it? My troubled heart told me where I was not believing God. And so you see, examining, having mindfulness of our fear is the first step in confronting it. Because if we don't, if we don't practice mindfulness, we go into the second lesson of fear. We discover the negative potential of fear, which is this. Fear is controlling. The proverb says, the, man of, uh, uh, the fear of man lays a snare. Now, a snare is a trap. It's like cords wrapped around your feet. It's something that trips you up. It's in, it entangles you. But if you want to really dig into the origin of the word that's being used here for snare, it's the word lure. Now, what is a lure? A lure is something that deceives you. It looks good. It looks appetizing. It hides its destructive power. We buy lures that make fish think it's food, and they gobble it up, and that is how they are snared. The proverb is telling us fear does this. Literally, we could translate this proverb to fear is luring us into a trap. So how does it do that? How does fear lure us? I think fear is very similar to money. Is money a good thing or a bad thing? Depends. Money can do a lot of good. But then money can also teach us that it is the only good. And it is the ultimate good. We can take the good instrument of money and make it the thing that takes care of us and the most important thing we pursue in this world. Right? When we allow money to become ultimate, a good thing becomes a bad thing. It is that lure that destroys us, and the name for that is greed. Fear does something similar. Fear causes us to fixate on safety and security and self-reliance. And those of us who are good at at security and self-reliance and safety preparedness, We find ourselves able to rationalize that fight against the fear. I'm the responsible person. You need me. I'm the only one prepared. It's not not that I'm filled with fear. I'm just vigilant. Let's take that example of child-proofing and extrapolate it a bit. We all know in, in, in middle school and high school that Parents are making different decisions about uh, what a child should be allowed to do and what a child shouldn't be allowed to do. And what do we call that parent who is more restrictive 
than you. Overprotective, right? And overprotective is a, is a judgment call, except to say that if every parent that you see in this world isn't taking care of their kids as well as they should be, you're probably overprotective. <laughs> you are probably the one that has gotten so far into the safety narrative that you have no room for seeing any variety. Here's the thing. Responsibility, vigilance, being prepared, that's allure. And the insidiousness of it is the more you gobble that down, the deeper it gets into you, the more affirming it is that you are taking care of yourself. But the thing is that you don't realize until it is too late is that your existence has slowly but surely become controlled by fear. Suddenly you are living not to die. Suddenly you are parenting so that nothing bad could happen to your kids. Suddenly you are loving in such a manner that you'll never be left alone. Or you're uh, interacting with people in such a way that they can't hurt you. Or that you are uh, saving up and saving up and saving up so that absolutely nothing could happen that could hurt you. And you end up in an existence where you are avoiding every risk and protecting yourself from every hurt. What, what, what kind of life is that? That's a life without freedom. That's a life without joy. That's a life without peace. What would you call someone who is living without freedom, without peace, and without joy? That's a prisoner. And we created the prison. You see, this is the negative potential of fear. To lure you into your own prison and not even to recognize it. But you are controlled by fear. Now that is not even the worst potential of fear. The worst potential of fear is this. Fear will separate us from God. Let's, let's look at a familiar story in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 4, we, we read this. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not even care that we are perishing? So we know this story well. This is a storm, and it's a serious storm. It is a legitimately dangerous, life-threatening storm. We know that because experienced fishermen on this very body of water are panicking for their lives. They think this is the end. This is the storm that could kill them. The storm is so big, it is so treacherous, it is so all-consuming to their vision... That what, what do they reveal is going on in their hearts? They look at Jesus asleep, and in their hearts, the question is born, does he even care about us? Do you even care that we are perishing? 
Allender again speaks to the power of fear. He says, fear distorts our picture of God. God seems weak, uninvolved, or uncaring in the midst of our troubles. After all, we think if he were strong and concerned, he would not leave us in this mess. Fear reverses reality by making evil seem all-conquering and God impotent. Have you cried? Do you not care? Do you know that space? I do. I have. As things were falling apart in my pastorate, as things were getting more desperate, and as my uh, ability to solve this uh, problem got more and more out of my capability, I found myself dwelling on Psalm 3, a a psalm of David about a particularly tough situation that he was in. And and I would remember wrestling through these words and, and wanting these words. Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I read those words And I said, where is the lifting of my head? How long are you going to allow this situation to go? Are you you going to let me be utterly destroyed? And I looked at this psalm and it said, the Lord answered him. And the time for an answer for me came and went And I put everything I own in a box, in a truck, and I left Baton Rouge with absolutely no idea what was ahead of me for my life. God, do you even care that I am perishing? You see, fear can turn you away from God and into yourself. Fear has built its ultimate prison when you become self-reliant. The negative potential of fear is that it can make us trust no one, not even God. And that's the heart of the self-reliant person. I'm the only person I can trust. I have to solve this. It all comes down to me. Fear will take control of us. But the biggest lie is, it can't save us. A life of self-reliance is a lie. You want to know why? Because the greatest fear in your heart and my heart and everyone's heart is the fear of death. 
And there is no amount of self-reliance, there is no amount of self-care, there is no amount of medicine, there is no amount of insurance that you can buy, there is no amount of child-proofing you can do to your life that will delay your day of death, that will stop your last breath from expiring. Your commitment to self-reliance will not deliver you from the day of death. But what it will do is it will make you face the day of death all alone. Helpless and hopeless. That is the prison of controlling fear. Self-reliance is false security. It is the most dangerous condition we can fall into as we look at that path picture again the negative potential of fear has come to fruition and that it has made you completely alone separated from God and unaware of your need so where can true safety be found well that's the third lesson of our proverb fear is conquerable The proverb ends with these words, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You see, to conquer fear, we must use it to drive us towards the one who is greater than our fear. That is the positive potential of fear. Let's look at that story of the storm again and and how it concludes. Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The storm was terrifying. The storm was dangerous. But the Lord was bigger than the storm. In the Lord was quiet and stillness that He unleashed upon the world. And so I want you to see something very important. To conquer fear, we must use it to drive us to the one greater. We, we definitely recognize that the disciples' faith was faltering. They gave birth to a question, do you care? But they did the one necessary thing. They took that question and asked that question of Jesus. It may not be great faith. It may not be flattering faith. But it's enough faith to ask Jesus... Do you care that we are perishing? And because the disciples took their fear to the Lord, they ended up learning in that moment of fear that His power and His goodness was even greater than they could imagine. This also is the potential of fear. If our fear drives us to ask the Lord, save us, help us, protect us, That is where we are most wide-eyed and receptive to seeing that God's goodness and His power is incomprehensible. 
I'm happy to say that I have experienced this. When I sat in my unemployed state, trying to figure out what to do, and nothing was clear, all there was was pray. What am I supposed to do? Help me get through this. I don't know what's next. But that was a conversation with God. And for a long season after my unemployment, God spoke to me by simply showing me He provides. We had to sell most of our stuff to fit it into a smaller moving truck. And when we got to where we were going, He arranged a garage sale that had all the stuff that we had to get rid of available for pennies on the dollar. He gave us a job. He gave us a house. He gave us a new church that loved us. Slowly but surely, he said, I am your shepherd. I walk beside you. I provide. And I was able to have those deep questions of, am I abandoned? Answered by the faithful provider. But that wasn't it. The Lord also began to renew me. And also began to speak to those questions. Am I finished? Am I abandoned? By bringing me into a a circle of people that I could not have orchestrated. I could not have picked. But a group of people who early on saw that I was was a great candidate for church planting. And they brought me alongside. They vetted me. And they have encouraged me. And the, 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 the hardest thing to admit is that for a long time, for a, more than a decade, my sense of purpose for God was to plant a church. But I couldn't express that idea. That was too audacious. And yet, the Lord has brought into my life a list of renewing circumstances and has answered those questions. Am I abandoned? Am I finished? Am I a failure? At a a heart level that is so much deeper than my life of content and comfort could have ever experienced. As trust grows, fear is conquered. Now understand that this is much different than the, the platitude that we looked at earlier. It is not that fear goes away. It is not that we are saved from experiencing fear. What happens as our faith grows is our confidence in the Lord matches and exceeds our fear. We still feel the fear, but the Lord's presence gives us the courage to meet that fear. That's a big difference. Now, beloved, this this, uh, calls us to trust. And trust is a daily exercise. God sends something to scare us every day, to put in front of us an opportunity to grow our faith every day. Look at the opportunities in your fear as opportunities for growth. And I want to speak to the dads. The dads with kids. You are raising your kids up to believe one of these two paths. 
the answer to a scary world is your self-reliance, or the answer to a scary world is trust in the Lord. And the way that you are teaching is whether or not you allow your kids to know that you fight your fear with prayer, or whether you say you fight your fear by being the guy that's the toughest and the strongest. You know where the end of self-reliance goes. Don't raise your children to take that path. Let them see a daddy who goes to the Lord to fight his fears. Beloved, where is fear taking you? Is it taking you down the path of self-reliance? Or is it taking you into a greater intimacy, fellowship, and confidence in the Lord? It really comes down to this word, trust. Do you trust Him? Now, if you're deep in that self-reliance narrative, you have gotten there because you have learned no one is trustworthy. How could I possibly trust God? I want you to listen to what the Lord has done. The Lord came into this world full of fears, full of dangers, full of bad men, full of tribes. He lived in this world He endured shame and ridicule, mockery and opposition. And he faced the greatest fear of all men. He faced the fear of death. And he faced the most horrendous fear. The fear of death on a cross. And he faced the most terrifying fear. The fear of the full wrath of God opened up and poured upon him without relief. He died on that cross, not for his sins, but for ours. And we know this because three days later he was raised from the dead to make absolutely certain to everyone that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. Can you trust him? My favorite theologian, D.A. Carson, says this. You can trust a God who bleeds for you. You can trust a God who bleeds for you. Beloved, He chose the nails for you. He chose the ridicules and the mockery for you. He gasped, I thirst for you. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you. That you would know that you have a Savior who you can trust 
in death, through death, and forever. Can you trust him? You can trust a God who bleeds for you. Fear will reveal your trust. So when, tr when fear comes, can you say, I put my trust in the Lord? If we take our fears to the Lord, He promises He will make us safe. The last word of this proverb, safe, literally means to be set up high. You see, the Lord lifts us up. The Lord has shown us in His resurrection He can lift us even out of death. He alone can make you safe. And in Jesus, He will do it. He has done it. Have you put your trust in Him? Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good God. Our word good isn't big enough for your goodness. Teach us, Heavenly Father, the potential of fear. Teach us, Father, that fear is not something that we should ignore or that we should explain away but it is something that you have given us to examine our hearts. Father, for those of us who have allowed a world of fear to condition us into the prison of self-reliance, I pray by your Spirit that right now you would open that jail door and that you would whisper to the heart of that person, I set you free. Put your trust in me. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give the faith to walk out of that prison, to walk in the trust of the Lord, that you would allow that person to know that from this moment of faith, they will never be alone. They will never be separated from your love. And they will never be overwhelmed by anything that you cannot deliver from. Father, I pray that for everyone in this room, there would be a renewed commitment to you. That we would take the daily experience of fear and make it a daily exercise of faith that we would take that fear and grow our trust in the Lord. Reveal to us, Father, the things in our hearts that we don't believe when we are afraid. And by your perfect healing touch, work those wrong thoughts out of our faith that we might more purely, devotedly, and ecstatically Walk in your ways. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.